Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I am Brandon Goldner. Ryan is not here because his computer is exploding on him. So in his stead, we have a self-named Cap Guru, which I want to talk to you about. Maybe not self-named, but we have Cap Guru, Willamette Week contributor and overall good guy, Eric Griffith. Eric, what's up, man? Hey, um, you know, I don't know if I like the Blazers so much as I've tolerated them um, <laughs> during the course of my life. Because, you know, sometimes I'm a Blazers fan. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard, but like there has to be some degree of like you. There's a reason why you keep coming back, right? Like you could you could do anything you want with your time. You know, you have a young family, you have a job. Like you're a smart dude. Like, but you keep focusing on the Blazers for. There's a reason why you're doing that. Is it not like? Perhaps it's love. Perhaps some something else. Um, I don't know. Like, like ambivalence isn't quite the right word. You know, I, how about we how about we go with extremes? I feel like the Blazers bring out extreme emotion. Um, which kind of makes it fun because it's like a, it's an outlet for extreme emotions. It's like harmless, you know? Yeah. You know, it's good to get happy and mad about things that don't really matter in your life so that like you don't get upset about things that do matter. It's kind of how I look at it. Yo, we didn't even talk about that, but honestly, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, especially like every time I get super into politics and it feels like extra super heavy because it's like this shit really matters and it like, and it gets me twisted up. But when I'm like mad about the Blazers, you're right. It's like this sort of like... Who gives a shit? It's fucking, it's basketball. Pardon my language. I mean, not that we care on this show, but like. No, no, honest. And Brandon, I've had the exact same realization. I wrote Edge like three or four years ago. And it was basically like me saying like, I live a completely normal life. I have a Prius to work, sit in an office. I hang out with, you know, Bob from accounting, lunch. Like I want the Blazers to be like, not normal. I want to be like exceptional. And it was driving me crazy that like, run-of-the-mill, average-ass, NBA office drone equivalent. But honestly, that's a little comforting right now. I feel like in the last, like, four to five years, my uh, I've kind of mellowed on my desire for the Blazers to be exceptional. You know, having, like, the same old Trailblazers feels kind of good right now. I actually, I agree with that. And it's part of, and again, we didn't talk about this either, but it's part of why I really, really want Dame to retire in Portland. It's not that I think that that's, like, the best for the team's, you know, next five years. It's probably quote unquote better for them to, to trade Dame now, but I want them to build statues of Damian Lillard. I want him to be like this generation's person that the city can connect with on like a sports level. And frankly, I mean, yeah, he's exceptional. That's a given, but like, it is that comfort, that familiarity and that consistency when like a lot of things feel not super comfortable, not consistent. Um, so sports provides us with that. Um, and with that, a lot of extreme opinions, of course, as we do, let's dip into like pretending like we really care about this and it really matters. Uh, the blazers they've made, <laughs> I mean, it matters on some level. Um, it, it, it's not really, uh, the blazers have made a lot of moves. Here's what I want to start with you. Um, and by the way, I suggest that if you're listening to this, please check out the church of Roy podcast with Steve Dewald. Eric was on there and did a lot of cap stuff and, and went through some details of what the blazers have done and what they could do. And I listened to that. Didn't want to duplicate everything they talked about, but I wanted to start here, which is your opinion of the Blazers last year compared to this year. And, and here's where I'll kind of set the premise and we can just riff off of this. <clears throat> the Blazers had a certain team last year. They got a new coach. Okay, fine. And something happened with the general manager. He was pushed out. He was, you know, whatever you want to call it. Neil Shea was, was fired and he's, he's out. And I, the Blazers had a choice. They could build around Damian Lillard or they could not. 
I think the two premises or the two things you have to accept with all the moves that Joe Cronin has made are a, you're building around Damian Lillard, who's, you know, an aging superstar, but you're building around him and B in order to do that, you had to trade CJ McCollum. So if you accept that you need to build around Dame and you accept that you needed to trade CJ, then you're given this like limited set of options, these limited numbers of opportunities to, to form the team the way you want to form it. If you're Joe Cronin. So with all of the moves that had been made and, you know, we could tick through them, but just flat out, do you believe that the Portland trailblazers are a better team now than they were last year? Um, I know that the blazers have more talent now than they did 365 days ago. Um, it's kind of a loaded question. Like you can't salary dump two of your starters for, for basically nothing and Norman Powell and Robert Covington, uh, and then say like, going to get better than we were last year. I will say I'm more hopeful about the future of the team than I in a long time though. And so it's, it's a very mixed bag. Yeah, un- unpack that factors. for me. How does that? Yeah. How does that? Yeah. Sorry. So, so no, I, I told um, I think like you're talking about constraints. And so like as fans, we have to accept that they artificially created several constraints. Yep. Um, that is, we're going to build around off the, the, you know, to, we are going to salary dump our current guys for whatever reason, be a chemistry reason, be a fit, whatever. So they salary dump those guys at the trade deadline. Okay. I see that as like, these are, these are the constraints that the management and Damian Lillard probably to an extent placed on Joe Cronin. I think we're are we on the same page on that part. I, we kind of are, but I want to pick at this and I, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt your flow so I can, I can hold my nitpick for a second. So I'm with you so far. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to make sure we were, um, but what I'm more hopeful about. So like accepting that, accepting like trade deadline, no matter what you think about it, I think it kind of sucked, whatever water under the bridge from the draft onward. I think Joe Cronin has made use of basically every possible asset he could have used. And I think the team has improved. And I think the team is now in a place where they are capable of maybe pulling off a superstar trade in the future. And to me, that means there's hope that the team is going to be better in 2024 than it is in 2023. I don't think we could have ever said during the Olshay era, you know, the team is definitively better now than it was last year, but that may be true next year. Finally. Okay. And let's, let's do go back really quick. So I I hear you so far. Um, the water under the bridge part, let's unpack this really quick. CJ McCollum. Did Joe Cronin get fair value for CJ McCollum? Not just him as a player. Remember there's a contract attached to that, to his production and his age. Did Joe Cronin get fair value for that CJ trade? I I think if you assume so, like Jeremy was, was, absorbed into the, into the salary despair created by trading CJ McCollum. If you include Jeremy Grant in that trade, it's about what you expect. Um, I think overall that was a good, like assuming part of that trade, we can go ahead and call that like a solid neutral, decent trade. Okay. And like, and actually one more thing on this, like I had argued for people who said, Oh, you got nothing for CJ. Like, let's say that he had more value around the league, which I don't, I don't, I'm not convinced that he did. 
I don't remember there being this like long list of teams who needed a player like CJ who would be willing to trade for him at any rate. Like, and I don't know if your memory aligns with mine on that, but I think that's part of it too. When we're talking about fair value for a player, another team needs to want that player, right? That, that role that he plays in the position at the age of the contract that he has. And like, I honestly don't remember like a ton of teams needing a CJ McCollum like player. But I'm kind of indifferent to whether or not needed him. You still have to extract maximum value when you trade a player. And what I hear is that Joe Cronin did that. So like CJ McCollum had a big inflated inflated contract, no matter what you like, it's probably more than he was worth on the court. Um, but in the past, when the Blazers have had those big contracts, they just, a lot of them have just expired and gone away and done nothing of use. Hassan White's they took like we heard all these years how Mo Harkless and Myers Leonard and those contracts were going to be tradable and assets and blah. In the end, they were traded for Hassan Whiteside. They disappeared, and the Blazers in salary cap space. All of that just vanished. At least the CJ trade that like that 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 salary that they had committed to was then transferred starting quality NBA players. And so I think that alone makes this like makes that trade a decent solid trade. Okay. So if you were the GM, you would have made that trade at that time. Is that what you're saying? I think they kind of knew that trade was coming. Um, it's been pointed out on Twitter that the amount like that they added Tony Snell to that trade. And by adding Tony Snell to that trade, the trade exception created in the CJ trade was exactly what they needed for Jeremy Grant. Um, that seemed like that seems like quite. Um, and so I, I do think they have, you know, a big picture goal there where they're like, we're going to use this, we're going to use this trade exception to get Jeremy Grant or someone else. And they, and they pulled it off. So, you know, that's, that is a proper management of your, of your, of your salary assets and then of players. Um, and I, I think that was very competently done. I also think by the way, like, I think you're right to say that Jeremy Grant needs to be part of the evaluation of the CJ trade, because that's again, what allowed you to get Jeremy Grant. The fact that the team was able, and maybe it was Jeremy Grant's relationship with Damian Lillard. Maybe it was a combination of things that, you know, they could have traded for him last year. And like you said, the trade exception was just such that they could also absorb him this year um, by, you know, like fractions of dollars, basically, or like just a couple of dollars. It was um, less than $10,000. Yeah. Which is wild. When you're talking about $150 million payroll. <laughs> and right. And the, the confidence that Joe Cronin had, you know, that I, I mean, I don't know, like technically they, they shouldn't have come to an agreement with grant at that time. Cause it's not allowed, but like the fact that they rode with that and like, that's, we're cool pushing this until this off season. And, and it did work out like any number of things could have happened for that to go sideways. And it didn't. So I think full credit there. Uh, and then moving forward to, to the norm and Robert Covington trade, I uh, like, do you think that trade was fair value? And do you think no, that, that was a right? disaster? They, they got nothing for it. Complete disaster. Uh, what would you have done differently? I Norman Powell is a much better fit next to Damian Lillard than, than Anthony Simons. Anthony Simons is essentially part two. I think anyone who looks at those two playing each other and says, how are we going to win a playoff series is thinking very cogently about like the future of this pairing. Um, and so they, they should have kept Norman Powell and looked into signing and trading Anthony at the very least. If for some reason had to trade Powell and Covington, um, they, they should have at least waited until this off season and tried to get like more than enough of those two play. 
so I think that the, you just mentioned something, which I think is a part of that trade, opening the space for Anthony Simons to play more. So it sounds like you are not particularly high on Anthony Simons' ceiling as an NBA player. Is that fair to say? No, no. I, th- I think he's a great player. Um, I don't know if he'll ever make an all-star game, but you know, he's a competent 20 point per game scorer. That, um, but I don't know how well he fits in Lillard. And also the Blazers going into the off season, they had like five in rotation players in the NBA. They had no talent. And so like, I don't, I don't buy into the, the line of logic that you had to trade Norm Powell to make room for Anthony Simons. You don't, you, you don't even have a, like you, you don't have anything past this lineup. We need to get rid of someone to make room for someone else when the team is already that shallow. That's true. Although here's the, 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 maybe the counter is that you need a starting spot for Anthony Simons. If you think he's that good in order for him to build his maximum value, because if you were being really optimistic, you say they just signed Anthony Simons for a hundred million dollars. He's what? 22, like not 20, 20, not even 23 yet. And he has shown flashes of being, you know, I mean, I think he actually played better for a stretch than CJ McCollum has at his peak. Now that was for a stretch. And I do think sample size matters. And I think CJ is right now still the better player because of consistency and how long he's been doing it. But if you're the Blazers front office and you're thinking that Anthony Simons could potentially be not just a 20 point per game score, but like a 25 point per game score, a lethal three point threat. If his defense can get slightly better, right. And if his playmaking can continue to improve that maybe then the Blazers are sitting on a hundred million dollar contract on an all-star level player. And I think that like, is that a leap? Yeah, that's a leap. But like, let's say that you, which I know you don't, let's say you agree with that. You agree that that's Anthony Simons ceiling. Do you still think that the Norman Rocco trade was a disaster? Yes. Okay. Fair <laughs> they enough. They gave away. They gave, they gave away two players for nothing when they had and and off season they had five. They essentially had five quality rotation players. Um, I, I like see they have a bunch of guards. So I feel like you sign and trade Simons and keep. Powell as a better fit next to Lillard. Um, if you what if you wanted to Simons? keep Simons though? That's the thing is like, let's just say that like you just needed to keep Simons and you're going to trade Norman Rocco. Like what would you have done to get more value out of that trade? I, I, I don't think a team that looks at Damien, Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons as a, as a, as a backcourt that can be option one and one a and win a champion, a team that is, is particularly realistic with their expectations. All right. But, but, but I I hear what you're saying. And also like, let's say that you felt differently (laughs) and let's say, let's say like, basically let's say you're the GM and Jody Allen's like, Eric, like you need to trade Norman Powell and Robert Covington. You need to do it and you can either do it now or you can do it during the off season. You need to find a team that wants one or both of these players. Like, like what, like, I, I mean, I'm not, you don't need to like, give me the exact trade, but like, what would, what would a better trade have looked like if you were going to trade those two players? Um, I think anything more than a South um, we like, they got nothing. It's like Ke- Keon Johnson looked good in a summer league game. So people are going to say like, well, he's a prospect, but teams don't just like give up on first round picks on rookie contracts like that. Um, so I think, you know, I don't, I like, I'm not working the phones. I don't know what the opportunities are. Right. I think you, look, I, I think you look at that and you say, Jesus, like we can't just get nothing out of, you know what? The worst case scenario, let's just wait. And we can always salary dump them in summer. It's not like the Clippers is going to go away. It's not like the Clippers won't need those two in a few months. 
So I think you just wait and see what, what comes up around the draft. That's fair. I think that that's the point where it's like, why did that trade need to happen right then? Let's say the Clippers were the only team that wanted Norm Powell. Um, and let's say for example, that Norm Powell's contract was not as much of a positive value as we think it might've been. I, I can't remember. It's what five years, 90 million. And he's four years left and he's going to be what, like 33 at the end of that or something like that. Right. It's, it's, it's a great contract. He's, he's like, he's getting paid like, you know, several million less than Anthony Simons. Um, he, the salary cap is going to continue to increase. It, it's a, it's a value. Like it's a, Okay. Like I don't buy into people saying it's not a good contract either. No, that's, and that, that's fair. I wanted to ask about that. So that's, that's asked and answered. Um, I think that basically saying they should have waited, like I'm trying to think of what the opportunity cost would have been to wait, to make that trade. Um, and I, I have to search myself and say that it would have been better just to wait. Like, I, like, I, I guess I'm curious, like, why do you believe Cronin felt compelled to make that norm and Rocco trade when he did, did, did he want organizational clarity? Was that it? Like I, I, cause I, I, I struggled to come up with like a good faith argument. Why he felt like that trade needed to happen right then. Um, all I can think is like, you already like someone from a salary dump these guys now, I don't, but um, it certainly seems like he had, and you know, he's the new, and at the time he's the interim GM thing at right. like even more so. Well, cause they, anything in him yet and so like he's he's absolutely probably feeling pressure to follow direct I and mean, this is all hypothetical like this is just me but i i'd imagine that it's someone somewhere in the organization decided those two need to be traded immediately um i don't know we can guess maybe there's chemistry issues maybe they didn't get along with chauncey billups maybe they didn't like their role like who knows it could be something in the locker room we'll never hear about um it's just but it does seem like someone said joe you got to trade got to do it now and he did the best he could yeah. I mean, the, the chemistry thing is fair. I mean, to be, if anyone watched what Chauncey Billups did last year, he lost a, a good number of the vets pretty much immediately. Like I, and, and I don't think anyone can argue that. Like, even for me, I've said, all right, let's give Chauncey Billups a clean slate. Last year was weird. And also like he lost a number of like, you know, like consistent NBA players almost right away with whatever his leadership style was like, who cares what, um, I, I guess what I don't quite still understand and we can leave it here if there was like a chemistry issue, why not just have them sit? I mean, Norm Powell's contract is already guaranteed. It's not like he's missing out on anything by sitting, which by the way, like related to that, I, I do want to give Cronin credit for working with Yusuf Nurkic and his agent to get him to sit uh, during a contract year. They obviously had an agreement in place and that agreement came to fruition and now he's back in the team. So another good little piece of business there. Um, I think, I would, you know, and I, I would love to know, uh, I agree with you. It's pretty obvious that Simons and Nurkic must have agreed or who knows. We spec it seems safe to speculate. Safe that they had some kind of handshake agreement in place when they shut down for the season. Um, I would love to know if that impeded Portland's ability at all to get into the DeAndre Aiden situation. Um, were they like could they have possibly like if they did not already have an agreement, like it's could they have possibly like looked more into a double sign and trade or something like that? And did they feel scared away? Cause they don't want to piss off Nurkic's, Nurkic's agent, you know, things like that. Yeah. Sorry. You cut out right at the end there. Um, but oh, I think, no, you're good. I agree. And I think that when people think about evaluating a general manager and how well they've done, the easiest way to do it is what have they done over time? So like, for example, 
let's say a certain GM who's been in the role for nine years. I think it's fair to look at the results of those nine years and evaluate that person based on that track record. When they've been in the role for six, seven months, you have a lot less information to work with than you do. It's like, who are they talking to and when, and how are they balancing this and that? And I just think it's a fascinating thought exercise. Um, really quick plowing through. I don't think anyone disagrees in a vacuum. The Jeremy Grant deal, just kind of absorbing him was a positive. I, I struggled to even imagine how someone could say that wasn't a positive in a vacuum. I'm curious your thoughts on the Gary Payton signing. Um, and then particularly there was a lot of chatter from blazers, Twitter that basically said, because Cronin signed Gary Payton the second for the amount that he did, it prevented the Blazers from having the maximum amount of flexibility needed to make a bigger trade. They could no longer use Eric Bledsoe's contract in a potential trade. And oh my gosh, Cronin's terrible because he signed Gary Payton to too much money and it hard capped the Blazers and he's a piece of shit. Like what, what do you feel like when you're looking at kind of the end of free agency with the the moves that had already happened with the assumption that you're building around Dame uh, that Gary Payton, the second signing, how do you feel about that both kind of in a vacuum? And then as it uh, impacted the Blazers ability to do other stuff, I I feel great. Um, I think, I think anyone who's upset about the trade is, is maybe uh, needs like, is maybe not looking pragmatically at the limitations of what's going on. You can't such a polite way to put it. He drafted a blue chip prospect. He traded for a starting caliber NBA player in Jeremy Grant. He used nearly the entire mid-level exception. That already is more or less like more than Olshay pulled off in like really any one off season. Um, and so we've already seen him trading, drafting, signing new players. Great. Uh, um, something people have to understand is that because of the way the salary cap works is he had to make a choice. He could use the full mid-level exception and sign Gary Payton you know, you player exception to sign Jeremy Grant. That meant that they were too close to the hard cap to take Eric Bledsoe. Pragmatically, he really only has access to two of those three things, the Bledsoe contract, the Grant TPE, full mid-level exception. Um, he used two of them and they're right up against the hard cap. I don't know what more you can ask. Like, I think asking any more of him is not realistic. That's fair. I mean, and what, and one more thought on Gary Payton, and then I want to talk about what you think the Blazers may be able to do from here, given the dynamics in the league right now, specifically with Kevin Durant, but with Gary Payton, I don't know how much you have watched him play. I'll admit that like when he was traded to the Blazers, I went back and looked at like, I knew who he was. I knew he had a great year this year, obviously like getting meaningful positive value rotation minutes for a championship team probably speaks pretty well of you as a player, right? So like right away, you're like, Oh yeah, like this, th- that is <laughs> what more could you ask for really in a role player? What is your opinion about Gary Payton and his fit on this Blazers team and specifically his defense? Because, you know, depending on who you ask, it, it, he is one of the best defenders in the league for his position. And I think if you go by like what his role is, in that limited role, he, he is the best defender in that limited role for his position. Um, how do you feel about his fit on this Blazers team and, and how much is he really going to be able to help on defense? How many different positions can he guard? And again, like I, I'm spring this on you without asking you in advance. I don't know if you've actually dug deep on him or not, but just wanted to ask about that. Um, yeah. So like in the press conference, they kept saying 
Army Knife. Um, I, I mean, that, yes, he, 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 he fills several different roles and kind of fills into the roles that are needed for the players around him, which is, is solid for this, I think. But I, I'm not worried about that. Like, he's a competent NBA player who is fairly compensated at the starting at the eight million dollars a year. That is a tradable contract. The three-year contracts so are going to have full bird rights so they can retain him. He is a, like, he, there is no doubt that he is a rotation player in the NBA and that's what the Blazers need. So I'm not worried in the slightest about the roster balance. If they they can balance, like they, they're going to need to make more trades down the road. They got to balance the roster. That's the reality. I'm more focused on the fact that Gary Payton is on a fair contract that will be a positive trade asset if needed. And if not, he's a, he's, he's going to help the rotation. I mean, what more can you want from a free agent? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I also, you know, is Gary Payton like the singular best defender that Dame has ever played with? Possibly. I mean, it's good. It's close, right? Like, I mean, the only argument you could make is like, if you can't be on the court for longer because of your offensive limitations and maybe your defensive impact is not as great as it could be. So for example, like Wes Matthews was a starter. He played heavy minutes and, and therefore his defense, even if it wasn't quite as good minute to minute, has more impact over time, but he's close to the most impactful defender the Blazers have had in the Dame era, close to it. Yeah, and so I, Brandon, I think I think the thing here going back to is they're starting Damian Lillard and Anthony Simon. The playoffs, those two are going to be on the court together for half the game. Right. When those two are on the court together, they're very weak defenders. The Blazers will need all NBA defense team caliber players at other positions to compensate for that. Um, that is not Jeremy Grant. He's probably a neutral or a plus defender, but he is not in the end the of the caliber that can that he can make up for the shortcomings of the two guards. Um, so I think with Peyton, you, 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 it's like, he, is he good enough to be Marcus smart for the Portland trailblazers where he can be one of those all defensive level players, this next two, next to Ant and next to Lillard. And if he is, that's very helpful. Got to look for that word who is also, but you know, if he, if he does grow into that role where he compliments them that well, that's great. Um, and I think he's a good enough defender. He can at least swallow up some minutes at that level. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about fit right now, but as far as like his skill levels, I think they, they, they may be something that could be long-term beneficial to the team. Yep. I, I agree with you on that. Let's kind of look towards the future now and, and look at kind of the state of the NBA. Um, there are still a couple pieces that have yet to move. One of them is Deandre Ayton. Uh, who's a restricted free agent, hasn't signed an offer sheet with anyone. Ostensibly, they're kind of waiting to see whether he would be involved in a Kevin Durant trade because the scuttlebutt is that Kevin Durant has asked out of Brooklyn. Um, again, depending on who you ask, I think there's enough reliable reporting on that to suggest that it's true. Um, a wrinkle to this <clears throat> is that the Brooklyn Nets are not looking to get like a ton of draft picks only because their own draft picks don't have a ton of value to them because they don't own them because they traded them all the way to get, you know, Harden and KD and um, Kyrie on their team. Or, or I forget which of those came in free agency who were traded, but at any rate, they don't really control their own draft destiny and therefore tanking for the nets doesn't help them as much as it would. So apparently they want like good players in return as part of that Kevin Durant package. And that's part of why maybe Deandre Aiden has been um, held up. So when you look at 
whether or not if if you're now constrained and also i mean i'm not a cap expert but there's also this funky thing where it's like because ben simmons is on a designated rookie extension contract that you can't trade another player on that same contract to the brooklyn nets and so then they would either need to move simmons or not take on a player on that type of a contract but basically what it means is that if the brooklyn nets want to trade kd and they want to get good players in return it becomes this convoluted for for most teams anyway this convoluted mess where you need to involve other teams potentially. That's a lot of talking, but here's the question with where the blazers are now with their current amount of flexibility with the contracts that they have that are currently eligible to be included in a, in a trade. Is there some scenario you can see where the blazers could be the beneficiary as, you know, a, a, a third or fourth team in like a Kevin Durant mega deal type of trade. Uh, yeah. So I think the most obvious way they would do that is um, we don't know if they stretched Eric Bledsoe's. They have almost exactly enough space. Six mil like, I think it's 6.5 or $6.3 million Robert Covington trade session up to that much salary. Um, and so the most obvious way that they would become players in a trade like that is taking something like taking a useful rotation player on a $6 million contract from another team who needs that space. Hmm. Um, I don't see the, the Blazers don't have a lot of draft picks. Uh, Unfortunately, they have very little draft capital. So I think that's about the only thing they're set up to do at the Like, you know, just, you know, takes like, just help out with the salary side and slowly players that could then later on they just bought that second round pick from the denver nuggets uh they did yeah you know if it's if they don't have their own first round draft pick next year and then they're missing a bunch of second round draft picks they're going to be right up i mean they're going to be in the luxury permanently more or less once jeremy grant resigns presumably resigns next summer yeah so cronin had a relatively straightforward this summer, it gets much more difficult where you say you need to take a presumably 45, 48 ish win team to the next level, but you're capped, you're completely capped out and you don't have a draft pick. Um, and so do right now along the margins to collect any kind of useful player or draft pick would be a smart move. And the easiest way to do that would be to like absorb someone into that, that little bit of money they have under right now. Okay. That's helpful. And it's also helpful to know that like, that's not a huge move. Right. And I also want to go back to what you said earlier about your, your hope for the, for the future of the team, maybe not this year, but the following year. So for us fans who are just like breathing a tank full of copium, can you paint us a, (laughs) I don't know why I went there. Can you paint us a picture for kind of your most optimistic potential outcome for what the blazers might look like uh not this year but next year and by the way we have to really hope that damian lillard comes back this year and looks right about where we expect him to be you know pre abdominal injury we don't know if that's going to be the case he also is getting older has a lot of miles but let's let's say that dame is right around the the old dame that we know what is your most optimistic potential picture based on the moves Cronin's made and the flexibility he's created and the tradable contracts they have of what the Blazers maybe might look like next year? Um, I think you're right. I think step one, um, Lillard hopefully comes back. I think realistically, it's 
95% of his absolute peak. Um, like you said, he's 32 years old. He just missed a year um, and had a surgery. Um, you know, he can recover from that, but also we have to be realistic. So maybe let's assume Lillard is 95% of absolute peak, which is still an all NBA level player. That's great. That's, that's yeah, a huge help. Really good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Simons, Simons is the real deal. Like Simons shows himself to be as good as like, I feel like Simons is maybe 105% as good as CJ McCollum. And then shade on sharp is also like, he pops, like, it's like, Holy shit. This guy is legit. Like the, you know, the, like, what do they have in Kentucky in those, in those practices that no one, no one saw. <laughs> um, and then that opens the possibility for those, that big trade for this, 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 you know, this imaginary Jimmy Butler clone that we've all been dreaming about for 10 years, um, where you can trade Simons and maybe some draft capital or something for that, that two way three and D does it all, all star level forward. And then you've got, you know, you, now you're now, now you're, you're looking at a pretty damn good team. You have Lillard, Hart, um, whoever they, you know, whatever forward they pick up in that trade, Jeremy Grant, Yusuf Nurkic, you got shade on sharp on the bench. And yeah, so you're, you're looking at a team that's now more balanced and that could be legit. Um, but I, I do think they need several players to play up to their maximum potential. And then they need another like high impact trade to come to fruition. That's, that's a lot. And I don't know how realistic it is, but at least it's possible. At least we're talking about a scenario that could happen. I agree. And I think that like <laughs> the fact that that seems reasonable uh, is a lot more than you could say from the previous construction of the Blazers, which is it's I mean, way more reasonable than saying like, Oh, Hey, um, 30 year old Hassan Whiteside, this is going to be the year he figures it out and he's going to make <laughs> the difference. Um, oh man. And I, yeah, I, I agree. And I will say that in that too, like, I am a pretty big believer in Anthony Simons. I, I believe what he showed last year was, I mean, I, I know it was on a bad team, but the fact that he was leading a team, even though it's not going to be his role, what he showed last year suggests that he's going to get better. If that's true, then he is a highly tradable, positive asset. Uh, if Anthony Simons looks kind of the same as he did playing behind Dame last year, that's going to be a problem. Um, so, okay. Yeah. I I'm buying it. I'm buying it. I I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, and I appreciate your time here. I'm going to ask you one last question. I'll let you go. Uh, it's about summer league. Um, we're recording on a Friday. So we just saw the blazers play at 9 PM Pacific, which is uh, you're on the East coast. So you were definitely asleep at that point. I'm assuming actually, I don't know when your bedtime is. I shouldn't assume that. Um, was there anything that you've seen in either the highlights or maybe you watched the game or that you've read? I mean, unfortunately sharp got injured. I don't think we've heard the results of the MRI yet, which sucks that he had to get an MRI by the way. Was there anything in that first game that piques your interest or that you're looking forward to in the following games? Um, honestly, no. Um, I think there's a, no. like, kind of my little, like, like I love that people have fun watching summer league, but I think there's a real danger in over-interpreting it. Um, it the, the, these are scrimmages. These are in a, in a Pac-12 football game. Um, and so I think there's a danger in taking them too seriously in that it's going to like just create unrealistic expectations. So I, I think, yeah. I, I think I will pass on having any kind of um, storyline, good or bad out of summer league. Well, I'm going to sneak one in there. Uh, I know that Jabari Walker did, did well in his debut, but when I watched him play, I got to admit, man, he looks not particularly athlete. He doesn't look like an NBA athlete. I know he got that big block 
and but uh, he just looked like a very right around the rim or below the rim type of player. And I just, I don't know. Like I, I'm I mean, not, he was, what was he? The pick or 57 pick in the draft? Right. Like, I know. The, yeah, totally. Like, I, yeah. And so I think too, like managing expectations is important. 95% of guys don't work out and that's fine. Probably have a competent NBA, like pro basketball career in another league. Maybe he'll have a cup of coffee with the Blazers, but it's totally fine. If he doesn't work out, it's not, a make or break thing. If the, you know, the Blazers second round pick in 2022 is, um, is not the real deal. I know. I just, I saw some, some quote unquote narratives about like, well, man, like he should have been like the 20th pick. It's like, I don't know. Actually, well, this, this is what I mean by setting expectations though. Like, I don't like, <laughs> I feel like it's unfair to these kids to be like, and they like a lot of them are like, basically, but that's not fair. A lot of them are very young. I feel like it's unfair to these young guys, that they're literally their first job. And we're like, you know, expecting them to like be difference makers for our, our favorite sports team. I'd, I'd rather have more realistic, like, Hey man, I hope it works out for you at this point than anything. No, I, I, I completely agree. Actually, sorry. One last thing, because I, I don't know how I missed this, but the, there's a New York, New York post article that heavily relied on quotes from former blazers president, Larry Miller, who has longtime ties to Nike, basically shitting on Jody Allen saying she's a terrible owner. Doesn't return Damian Lillard's calls. Doesn't return his emails. Um, you know, he, she should sell the team to Phil Knight, who by the way, has ties to Nike. Um, I'm surprised. Uh, and then Damian Lillard came through via Chris Haynes basically said, that's not true. She answers my calls. And by the way, I don't email, which <laughs> was my favorite little piece of that. Uh, do you have an opinion about this article? Is it just like a, a, a piece to try to pressure Jody to sell? Like, is it, is it going to work quote unquote? Like, I mean, does it, I don't know. What, what's your thought about it? Uh, I'm going to go full Brian Windhorst here. And um, <laughs> let me just like, so, so check out Willamette week um, the day before post article ran or two days before they ran an interview with Ron um, about similar topics and just read in between the lines of uh, lines on what Ron Wyden said in that interview and then take a look at what Larry Miller and just spend maybe seconds you know doing the wind horse in Persian and, and thinking about who and why would be saying these things in newspapers right now yes What's going on? Um, okay. That's a good answer. Uh, Eric, I appreciate you as always. If people wanted to find you and, and bother you or, or find your work, where would they find you? Uh, I'm writing right, right now. For, we'll, we'll just, I think my editor just hit publish literally as we were talking on an article. Um, and then I'll have another an article coming out soon explaining why Blazer should have some hope for the future. Um, which I am not used to having hope for the future as a Blazers fan. So that, that felt out of character, but good to say. So um, that column should be out I don't know, next few days or so, maybe next week sometime. Nice. Uh, actually, yeah, I'm going to uh, wweek.com and I see a title after a flurry moves. The Blazers are somewhat bigger and their contracts are the right size by Eric Griffith. So um, do go check that out. Eric, thank you as always. Appreciate you and see you sometime soon. Sounds good. Hold the phone. We have some late breaking news right as I was getting ready to hit publish the day after I recorded with actually that's not true. Uh, right after Eric and I got done recording and also before I hit publish, I thought it was important to jump on to say that Damian Lillard signed an extension. Damian Lillard has signed a maximum two year, $122 million extension. The news is first broken by Sham Sharania of The Athletic, but I have to always give credit to Chris Haynes, who had it a minute later. And so I'm going to say it was Chris Haynes who broke it, but the new contract that Damian Lillard. So first of all, actually, let's talk about the contract in a second. This is really good news. 
anybody who's a Blazers fan who wants Damian Lillard to retire a Blazer and you know you could include me as that group of people this is wonderful news we had heard that Damian Lillard I think this was actually from Chris Haynes himself said that he liked a lot of the moves the Blazers were making and that he hadn't yet signed his extension and he was kind of waiting to see how things you know they wanted to he he wanted the team to demonstrate that they were really trying to win and you know I I I had been concerned that the contract extension had not yet been signed and maybe I shouldn't have been because any other thing that you could have looked at in the last year suggests that Damian Lillard wants to stay in Portland, which is great. Um, and yeah, and it got done yesterday. So that's great. Let's go through really quick the details of the contract. I want to give a, a quick kind of thought about what I think it means both for the franchise and for the city. And I'm sure Ryan and I will talk more about it uh, on the next pod. But right now, Damian Lillard is under contract through the 2026-27 season. That last season is a player option. So the Portland Trailblazers basically have full control over Damian Lillard's contract. Contract through the 25-26 season, and Dame can opt in for 26-27. This contract will pay him 42 million this year, 45 the next year, 48 in 24-25, and then 58 million in 25-26, and 63 million in 26-27. Bobby Marks noted on Twitter that the extension numbers could be adjusted based on the salary cap in 2025-26, and it cannot exceed 35% of the cap for that season. This is a lot of money. So I would say this. I would say that in a vacuum, on, you know, like name the franchise, name the player and look at the production and look at their age. This is an overpay. I think just straight. If you were just not going to like, if you're going to ignore everything else, just look at the player, look at the production, look at the age, look at the amount of money that this would be an overpay for someone who's currently 32 years old and will be what 37 at the end of this contract, making $63 million. However, This means a lot more than just the production you think you're going to get from Damian Lillard. This contract means that there is a a very high likelihood that Damian Lillard will retire a Portland Trailblazer, which means a lot to the franchise and means a lot to the city. Anyone who's been a fan of the team during this iteration of the Blazers rightfully has an attachment to Damian Lillard as a player, as a person, as a leader, as a spokesperson for the team, as someone that throughout all the change we've seen with the GM and with ownership, and there's probably going to be a sale of the team, has provided some continuity. And Eric and I talked about this, that sports for a lot of people and for us is somewhat of an escape. It's a way to care about something and to like something and even get mad at something that ultimately doesn't really matter. Sports is not life or death, and it's something that we, you know, some people say escape into is is a way to put it. And Damian Lillard has been a consistent force, an unimpeachable positive influence on the franchise, on the city, on anyone who's been a fan of him. Uh, you know, again, him as a, as a leader, as a person, it's, he's an unimpeachably good dude. And what this means for fans and for the city and for the franchise is that this is someone that you can build statues of. 
I understand the Blazers haven't won a title, and I also understand that, frankly, it's it's not likely that they will when Damian Lillard is still in his prime. I think that the stars that would have to align to put Portland in true contention before Damian Lillard retires, the chances of that happening are very slim. And I think most people should be clear-eyed about that. I think we should also be clear-eyed that that's not the only thing that matters in sports, and particularly for a franchise that you know historically has had a tough time attracting free agents, that I would say wasted the overwhelming majority of Damian Lillard's prime by not constructing a team around him better than the one that was broken up in 2015. That's seven years ago now. That's not fair to Damian Lillard if if you're thinking just from the perspective of him wanting to win a title. But as a fan, as someone who has lived in Portland for, you know, eight years, has lived in Oregon my whole life. Damian Lillard means so much to me and my fandom. I know I'm not the only one. I want to see him retire in Portland. He's brought the a level of success that we haven't seen in 20 years. That matters, even if it's not a title. And again, the type of leader that he is, it's so, it's so cliche, on and off the court. But it's, it's, it's really true. I mean, when has there ever been even a scintilla, a whiff, a tiny puff of controversy or any will, ill will coming from Damian Lillard as a human being or as a player. It's never happened. And I would not count last summer him trying to put pressure on Neil Olshay to finally please do something. That doesn't count. That's just him looking out for himself and wanting to win. And by the way, like going back to Chris Haynes and how much he should be respected as a journalist, you know, he he came up in Portland and now is with Yahoo and is obviously close to Damian Lillard. Uh, Chris Haynes was on the Blazers Edge podcast with Dia uh, last week. I think it was. You should check it out. And there were a couple things that Chris Haynes said that I think are important. One is that, and he was not speaking for Dame here, but Chris Haynes himself said that Neil Olshay didn't do anything for nine years, right? Like he was, he was afraid to take a risk. He was afraid to take a move that, that, and that Damian Lillard wanted to see movement. And I think with Joe Cronin for, for better or for worse, and Eric and I talked about kind of the, the positives and negatives of the trades that he's made so far, has been willing to make moves. It really honestly sucks that if Dame were like 26 and we had a GM like Joe Cronin who was willing to move stuff around and make things work, I would be feeling very, very, very hopeful about the future of the Blazers. As it stands now, I mean, all this really hinges on how long Dame can be Dame, and who knows, that'll, you know, we'll find that out later. So, first of all, you have a GM who's actually willing to move stuff around, which, again, is important and matters. The second thing I think that is kind of interesting, and this is just a smaller point, Chris Haynes talked about when reporters cite either a source or league sources. And in this case, what he was saying is if it says, uh, you know, according to a league source, singular, that that's a very reliable source, probably a general manager, potentially the player themselves, uh, or an agent, a very well-trusted agent, or, you know, that, that that's about it, right? The circle's pretty small. When you get to league sources, that means that you f- feel like you need to verify at least one other way. Uh, the, the wording of Chris's tweet on the extension is league sources. The reason why I think that's kind of interesting is that I don't think this came directly from Dame. I think if it came directly from Dame and his team, it would just say league source and not plural sources. Make of that what you will. I don't know. I I, I mean, the only thought 
that I have about that is, you know, it, it was, I don't know, was, was, was that player option is kind of the, the part of it that really um, makes me think about the reason why it took maybe a little bit longer than it could have or should have is, is that what they were finagling over? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I don't know where I'm going with this really. What really matters is that he signed here for a really long time and that matters. Uh, yeah. And that's it. Just wanted to get that news out there. Ryan and I will be back on the pod as soon as his computer stuff gets worked out. And frankly, for me too, like I've had Bluetooth issues with my computer and it's been very frustrating, but anyway, technology being what it is, did want to sneak this in here before I hit publish. And yeah, thank you again to Eric. Thank you to all of you list for Thank you to all of you for listening. I can talk. Uh, I appreciate you all until next time. Go Blazers. Go Blazers.